Oh man, man, I am really not drunk enough for this. Okay, welcome back to the Tommy Slither Podcast. I'm Logan. Here with me today are two guys who have never made a fair catch before, Andrew and Artem. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, man. Fair catching it. Yeah, I was going to say, dude, that's that's a lie. I fair catch every single time that I'm having to return the punt. How many how many times have you returned a punt in your life? A surprising amount, actually. Really? Because you were... Yeah, I used, when I was an equipment manager, I used to have to catch the punters as they came out from halftime. Oh, I was about to say, I thought you played, like, safety in high school or something. No. I mean, I think I returned a punt once or twice in flag football, which was kind of an adventure. Yeah, I don't think you get blown up quite the same way as in uh, real football. So, since we're starting off the cast, I guess the topic on hand is this whole fair catch situation that North Texas pulled against Arkansas. For all the listeners who don't know, uh, essentially, on the very early in the game, Arkansas punted to North Texas, and their player didn't call a fair catch. I'm actually not sure how this is a trick play because it didn't even look like he had made an attempt to call a fair catch. But uh, it looks like Arkansas just wasn't paying attention. But essentially, if it was a fair catch, that stops the play at the end and gives the ball to where the guy caught it. In this case, uh, Arkansas, I guess, didn't realize that he didn't make a fair catch. So the guy takes, pretends like he did, then takes it, runs for a touchdown, And now we've got a controversy, I guess, in terms of player safety. Andrew, do you want to go into that more? Because obviously, special teams has been a big deal. It's been one of the most, uh, the biggest locales for injury in college sports as of recent. So you want to talk about more about the potential injury this guy put himself in? It's interesting because, as you said, he didn't make a signal, and it's actually against the rules. If you make a fair catch signal but run the ball as if you didn't, then it's actually, I think, like a five-yard penalty, you know, and you get backed up. But going and watching the film, this guy doesn't make a signal. He just nonchalantly catches it like it was a fair catch, and either, I guess, you know, he knew the whistle hadn't blown or hadn't heard the whistle, so he just... Took off running, <laughs> you know, and it's one of those where it just seems like Arkansas fucked it up it is really the biggest part to me. It seems like he just weren't paying attention and North Texas was paying more attention and found a way to take advantage of it. Well, and I guess the danger is, though, that if if the players had been paying attention, they could have just rammed him straight into the ground. I mean, and that's the danger we were talking about is for the rest of the the rest of the season, every time this guy catches a ball, people are going to be tackling him or have hands on him, regardless of whether he called a fair catch or not. Uh, so I guess that's what people are worried about. I don't see the controversy in the play because I don't think it was a designed play. Artem, do you have any thoughts on this whole situation? I think Andrew hit on it pretty well. I think the Arkansas team wasn't concentrating on the game. I think they were overlooking a very talented UNT and a quarterback at fine that, you know, wasn't picked up by many schools and the 5'10 kid 
just showed up. He's been showing up all last season, but he's got a better team around him now, and they're gelling. But there was a rumor going around, and it was more than a rumor, actually, but that uh, – what's their coach's name down there? Uh, the guy that was at Clemson? Chad Morris. Chad Morris apparently took Friday night to go to his kid's game. So he traveled separately from the team, and I really think a lot of it stems from that kind of stuff, you know. From Andrew, you're going to have some better insight on this, but usually coaches travel with the team, right, and kind of game plan even the night before? I mean, a lot of times they'll travel, you'll meet, you know, they'll eat dinner. The game planning you're pretty much done with. You know, you're not really going to install too much new stuff on the Friday before a game. And... I'm trying to figure out, do we know, was that game played in Fayetteville or in Little Rock? It was played in Little Rock at Arkansas. Okay, well, no, because, so Arkansas actually plays two home games not on campus. They have two different stadiums. They're, They're one of those weird teams where they have a stadium on campus in Fayetteville, but then they also play, I think, two games a year, one non-conference and one SEC game in Little Rock at War Memorial Stadium. And my question is, was that game at War Memorial or was it... Razorback Stadium in Fayetteville. It was in Fayetteville. So, you know, I I don't think that's as big of a deal because he's not really traveling too much. And, you know, he probably met with the team and then went to his kid's game. I think you'll see that oftentimes especially during the fall where head coaches usually aren't on the road recruiting. I mean, I that's probably not as big of a deal. Now, if it had been in Little Rock and he'd gone all the way back up, back up to Fayetteville, then, yeah, I might have had a question about it. But His kids' game was, like, in Texas, dude. I think he oh, traveled was it? to Texas because uh, he's originally from the area. I guess oh, his well kids then. are still in school near SMU, so he traveled oh, all well the way then. down there. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of a surprise. That might have had more of an impact. I'm sorry. I, I thought he was – I thought it was played, you know, like at home, and he just, you know, went down the street. Yeah, you know, that could... That team had four turnovers. His quarterback (laughs) threw four picks. Well, and it's not like they're off... not being good. (laughs) It's not like they're off to a great start to begin with. They lost the previous week to Colorado State, who is looking pretty god-awful. They're basically the embarrassment of the SEC, which is usually reserved for Kentucky or Vandy, who both look pretty good this year. So, this is not a great start off to the season for him right now. No, and his next three games are at Auburn, home to A and M, and home to Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think they're going to. actually in Dallas. Oh, is it? Nice. Always is. Yeah, I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. Uh, bold, bold prediction. Don't think that's going to happen. They do get to play Tulsa, so I mean that's that's a win. I think out of the remainder of their schedule, that might be their only win. <laughs> Because uh, 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 they, I don't see him beating Ole Miss. I don't. I mean, I don't see him beating LSU. I don't see him beating Mississippi State. I don't see him beating Missouri. Well, I mean that that Vanderbilt game on the twenty seventh of October is probably going to be another like maybe we could win a game. I don't know. Uh, I, I think you're. Last I think you're being overly optimistic. I mean, they might beat Tulsa. Uh, it's two. Is it Tulane or Tulsa? It's Tulsa. I, I they Ooh. they should beat Tulsa. Theoretically, they should beat Tulsa. But yeah, I mean, they're not off to a great start. Uh, hey, but... Texas barely beat Tulsa, and they're back. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. Oh yeah, 
Ed, the on and off week of Texas being back. Okay. So, Artem, I do want to get to you, I guess, to to start things off. We were talking about Alabama for a second there. I We saw last week what happens when uh, people score first on Alabama. That, that makes them angry. And I think it's fair to say that you would not like them when they're angry. Uh, you're going up against Bama this week. Uh, how how scared are you? I'm actually basing a lot of these questions this week off of Nigel getting very upset on the group me and just sending out things like, oh, Bama's the scariest team in the country. So, I don't know. How scared are you? How scared do you think you need to be of uh, Bama this upcoming week? Obviously, you felt good about Ole Miss going into that game against them, and you're playing them this week. I'm actually not scared at all. Logan, I'm pretty excited. I got a couple of reasons for that, actually. Um, our team last season went within a touchdown, within a, a score, I guess, uh, 19-27 against the Bama team. That was a Kevin Sumlin team that's lost to BYU and Houston to start the season, got destroyed by Houston. So, having seen what we've seen from the Aggies these last three games, especially the crappy scrappy not scrappy uh hard fought loss to to clemson and jimbo's general profile and some little things that people may not have noticed that you can be pretty excited about going into the alabama game and honestly alabama is in a state where i think their their base is excited because they're seeing alabama play the spread they have four wide receivers on the field they got two running around throwing bombs for anywhere from 15 to 75 yards so they're in a state where they are the, you know, the Achilles. Uh, they are Achilles, essentially. They're not thinking about, the, you know, the, the great warrior running around, uh, putting everybody down, but they're not thinking about, you know, that one thing, oh, my mom dipped me and didn't dip the heel into the river kind of crap. So, I, and if you look at kind of their, the rest of their roster, they're to us hiding some things that are different from the years before. Well, I will say that they are giving up a lot of big plays, and I don't like the idea that uh, and Nigel and I think a lot of other people put out there, which is that teams are purely undefeatable uh, by the basis of they, they've been around the longest, they're a dynasty, yada, yada. I mean, obviously there are things to take advantage of. I would say on the schedule, Texas A&M is probably, as a Bama fan, one of the games that scares me uh, the most. I think there's a couple others on the schedule, but Texas A&M being so early in the season is going to be the real defining game. With that said, you were really high on Ole Miss going into that game. Uh, so, I mean, it seems like you're kind of throwing around some blind optimism, but maybe that's just me. Um, do you- no, uh, I mean, I, I honestly haven't followed Ole Miss that well. I was a little bit high on them because it was at Ole Miss and out of the last three or four years, I've actually won two games against Alabama, but those rosters were a little better defensively put together than the show they put on against Alabama where they shut them down. Um, I think Saban is going to be really good about not letting them overlook any teams, but there are some definite holes that they have to fill that are just guys who hasn't played a lot, and they're not playing up to the same Bama levels of Bama championship that we know. Can this team go on and win out against everybody and win a national championship? Absolutely. There's plenty of talent on the roster. But do these players still make more mistakes than Saban's previous teams? I think so. I think 
as opposed to previous times that we faced Alabama, we actually have somewhat of an advantage on our on several of our fronts. So our defensive line is very experienced and they're tough. You could see we pressured Clemson really well and kind of didn't let them do th- the things they wanted. And looking at the Alabama front, they got a bunch of guys who haven't started before. I think we're going to be able to do the same thing. Um, and looking back to kind of last year's squad and comparing it to this year's, as far as Jimbo Fisher's FSU, uh, the way that Jimbo plans his games, it's a lot of kind of sneakiness, I would say, and a lot of things that he looks for that you do, and then he'll plan against that. So when he was at Florida State last year, they started their season against Alabama, and they were keeping it close with him until his quarterback, uh, DeAndre Francois, got hurt for the rest of the season. But even then, they kept with them until the fourth quarter. I think they lost, they ended up losing by two scores, maybe three, but that's because their quarterback got hurt, a couple guys got hurt, and Bama didn't have their two linebackers. So that's, it's kind of the same situation as far as that goes because now we look at the same FSU team. They got most of their roster back, and they look like garbage. So when I'm looking at the A&M team, I, I can see the potential of us doing those sort of things. I can see that looking back, Alabama's allowing 100 rushing yards per game right now, their defensive line, and those kind of things are intriguing, whereas before they were shutting people down. Um, now we have our, our team that's very run-based at a certain point, putting up 500 rushing yards on somebody. So it, it's exciting to be able to run against Alabama, and if you can control the clock against such a team, you have a chance. Well, and I will say, I think as much as people want to say Alabama's played people, it's been three weeks, and their toughest opponent might have been Louisville. And that's uh, that's not a great sign uh, when you're going down the list. Uh, Louisville this year is not Louisville the past two years. And I, I will say there is more to take advantage of, of on defense. I'm not sure their offense looks really strong. But, again, I, I'm not sure that that's going to carry them all the way to a championship Andrew, real quick, I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, I know that they're kind of your backup dynasty whenever Tech's not doing well. Have, what have you seen out of Bama so far on the year? Well, I, I liked Artem's metaphor because it means that, in his mind, A&M is Orlando Plume. <laughs> is that – you – you're actually a big Orlando Bloom fan. You actually I like... am, actually. I actually don't hate the movie, Troy. I actually enjoyed it. Well, I think, think about it to me. There's a Netflix show out now, too. It's like eight different oh, episodes. Oh, man. Oh, man. Is it any good? It's all right. Yeah. It, it, they gave a very different perspective, historically. Okay. But moving on. Give, give Andrew a call when they put out a Kingdom of Heaven miniseries, because he will love I that. I mean, nothing, nothing will beat the director's cut of that movie, but... I think the thing about it to me is that Tua Tagovailoa is the best quarterback that Saban's had at Alabama. I think just from a pure talent standpoint, he's the best one he's ever had. His his touchdown throw to Jerry Judy against Ole Miss was just absolute beauty. And I think that's the big thing that we're going to see out of Alabama this year is they've always kind of – you don't want to say they've won in spite of bad quarterback play, but – quarterback play has never been one of the big focal points of what they do and now I think they've got a guy that you can do that who's surrounded by the same level of weapons that you usually see out of an Alabama offense and I think the talent and the offense is going to be able to carry them a little bit more than we've seen in the past where they've been a team that's really relied defensively okay fair enough I I do think that makes a lot of sense based on what we've seen so far I'm curious to see 
how a decent team in Texas A&M who's got their offense well put together and well oiled will do against the current Bama defense, but uh, time will tell. I I'd say the the thing that I'm most excited about is there were some small wrinkles that, you know, coaches like Jimbo Fisher and Saban say a lot of things like, we're playing a nameless opponent this week, right? And they're, we're only practicing for these guys this week, that, that kind of stuff, and you're, it's all about us. But you see how we prepared for the Clemson, Clemson game, and it was a little bit different. They had a guy who was playing defensive end who's a elite pa- not elite pass rusher, but he's got elite pass rushing talent who didn't do that week one because he wanted to throw surprise, some surprises at Clemson. So I'm interested in seeing what kind of surprises they have in store for, for Nick Saban because last week, just like the first week they prepared for Clemson, they threw a lot of vanilla plays at uh, ULM. There wasn't a lot of crazy things going on in the field. Just very simple. So we'll see what Nick has prepared and what, what kind of tricks Jimbo throws at him. Okay. Well, Andrews, getting off the topic of decent programs, we've had a bunch of programs struggling. Kind of getting back to your Arkansas situation, we've got FSU off to probably their worst start in a long time, going one and two. We've got Nebraska losing at <laughs> losing at home. To Troy, which honestly I think Troy's a pretty good team, so I'm not as down on them as most people. But yeah, a lot of people look at that as being a pretty insulting loss. You've got Wisconsin losing at home on a missed field goal to BYU. Uh, you've got UCLA is going 0-3 right now. Uh, Arkansas, obviously, we've already talked about. I'm trying to go down the list in my mind because I know there's some other programs that are doing pretty poorly, but. Off the, and of course, we're going to talk about Georgia Tech in a second, but uh, off the top of your head, who would you say right now is the program that's off to the worst start right uh, this season? I mean, other than Rutgers? I, I, you actually brought up Kansas earlier when we were talking about this, and I was like, have you seen Kansas? They've got two wins. That's they crazy. They have two wins. <laughs> but yeah. So it's not Wisconsin, uh, although I do – 100% am glad Wisconsin lost that game because Paul Christ got super conservative on that last drive and was obviously playing for a field goal and overtime and not playing to win the game. And that just bothers me from a competitive standpoint. So good job, BYU. I'm glad you won that game. Um, I think it's just a blip for Wisconsin. I don't think it's, you know, a harbinger of the program collapsing. Uh, to me, Florida State's the one that I would be really concerned about because they're having offensive line issues that you just really don't understand at a program that recruits at their level. They're, they're not a program that should struggle that much on the offensive line, especially given guys like, you know, Cam Akers, who's obviously a really, really good running back. They're going to have talent, at wide receiver. I think Francois is a pretty decent player, but they're just so bad across the offensive line. And, you, you question that, you know, Nebraska losing, they're 0-2 for the first time since, I think, 1956. Yeah, uh, but like like you said, Troy's a good team, and I think everyone that really kind of knew football knew that Frost was in for, like, he wasn't going to really have a make a splash first year. There's there's a lot of questions with that program at a, at a deeper level than players that I think he's going to have to work with. I think he's still a good hire, and I think he's been able to turn that program around, but you kind of knew it wasn't going to be this year. Yeah, I mean, it's a rough start for him. 
Honestly, I think if you look at the next one up, it would probably be UCLA before Nebraska because I just don't think when UCLA picked up Chip Kelly, I don't think they were expecting to start 0-3. That's like mind-blowing to a lot of people. Uh, Yeah, that's one that's really kind of caught me off guard and I didn't expect to see them struggle that much early with, yeah, I mean, Kelly's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to be given some level of time to bring in his guys and but i mean you lose to cincinnati and fresno state that are pretty decent programs you know they're not bottom of the barrel but as ucla you really shouldn't lose those games uh, both of them at home you know the the bigger one will be on friday the 28th so wow they've got a week off if they come out and lose to colorado then I think you really need to start sounding the alarm bells and be like, oh, this Chip Kelly might not have been the best idea, UCLA. Well, I mean, you got to give him credit. There is the implementing a totally different system. But, yeah, you know, when you hired this guy, he's a big-name guy. He's making a fair amount of money. It's kind of scary when you start out 0-4, especially against – even Fresno State doesn't even bother me that much. Oklahoma, obviously, not that big of a deal. But, you know, Cincinnati, that's not a fun one to lose to. Uh, Artem, really quick. To to be fair, Cincinnati is currently undefeated. Yeah, that's fair. They've had some, uh, I don't know. They played somebody last week, didn't they? Who was last week? They played Alabama A&M. They haven't played anybody any good. Okay. Well, I mean, other than UCLA. So, okay, never mind. I think, yeah, their first game is this week. I I don't know who it is, but they're playing somebody this week. They play your Bobcats. Oh, yeah, that's right. They play Ohio. Uh, but anyway, Artem, I want to give you a chance, uh, I guess to trounce on FSU. I know you were really hoping LSU would be on this list. You're getting really, you get really excited whenever we talk about how terrible those teams are. So, who? Hey, give it time, man. LSU will be there. <laughs> nah, man, they're going undefeated this year. Don't worry. LSU about it. collapses in the later ends of the season. They're like the A and M from the last three or four years. I'm telling but you, man. LSU, LSU is yeah. going undefeated this year. I'm telling you. All right, we'll see. As long as we get more Coach O poetry podcast, that's oh, all I God. care about. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think all of these schools—Nebraska, uh, FSU, UCLA, Arkansas—it's very interesting. They have something in common, right? All of them have gone from a system where it's pro, maybe a little bit of West Coast, and they're all going to the spread. And those are the ones that are having struggles. And a lot of them are honestly with the offensive line. So I'm wondering if there's just something a lot harder at reteaching your offensive linemen whether they're top talent or not from going from a pro style west coast type offense to a spread i I think there's something to say about there most of those schools are arkansas fsu nebraska ucla they're all i think they combined have three wins or something like that well and you did post that article earlier in the week about how fsu is like training defensive linemen to take over because it's just not been very successful I mean, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot riding on these programs that you just kind of look at it and you're like you really you really shouldn't be have to go that far, you know? And I get the idea from watching the Arkansas spring game, right? They were saying they had to they went from these big hogs that uh, that Wisconsin head uh, head coach had down there and then he left. So, um, the current head coach is left with these big dudes who are like 330 pounds, but he has to have them run out to block for a wide receiver far out so I, I don't know I think these spread teams are going to take a while they'll get there or maybe the head coach will get fired before they do but it's going to be an interesting season for these guys 
Okay. Well, speaking of bad O-line blocking, so I guess this is the topic I've been dreading of talking about all season because it's kind of been looming in the background. But, uh, yeah, um, the game this week or last week, Georgia Tech versus Pitt, kind of confirmed it in a lot of fans' minds. And, again, I'm going down on uh, what Nigel was posting on the group me, which is essentially uh, he's on the PJ hype train and he feels like everybody else should be. Uh, so Georgia Tech has not gotten off to a good start this year. One and two, only win is against Alcorn State. They had some interesting troubles. I guess you could call it miscues against uh, USF that cost them the game. And then in our game against Pitt, it was kind of like we never even got off the bus. Uh, until the second half, suddenly we found energy. But it felt like for a while there, no one even showed up to play the game. Uh, obviously, Andrew, you're more familiar with the program. You know the ins and outs, and you've been writing the articles on From the Rumble Seat. So there's there's a lot of issues, but what would you say are the most glaring ones with the Georgia Tech football program at the moment? In, in the short term, it's just really poor execution offensively, um, a lack of talent in the front seven, defensively and but you hate to look at injuries because everyone's like oh it's just an excuse but we had a late scratch for our starting right guard against Pitt he didn't even travel with the team we lost our starting right tackle fairly early in the game to where we were having to play a former walk-on as our starting right tackle who's you know god bless him the kid fights hard but he's just not you know, athletic enough to really do much at the, <laughs> the Division One level, but that's that's really the short term. Is and, and you kind of hit on it in our conversations earlier. Is the problem is it's not completely just that guys keep making these mistakes, but it's that they make the same mistakes year in and year out. And you have to really start to step back and go, well, yeah, coach, I get that you don't teach him to make that mistake, but if he keeps making it, either you need to change the personnel because this dude obviously can't do it right or you haven't recruited well enough to where you have the depth to make that change or in the case of some coaches, you might just be shitty at teaching guys how to do things. Well, and, and we, we have talked about uh, the particular one that always stands out to me is the Taquan Marshall situation where it's really hard to say take the guy out because you look at his stats last year, he broke a lot of rushing records for us. But I mean, if you specifically look at the game last week, it's like, it's becoming even more clear that he is not, he's very skittish and he's not making the correct reads in a lot of situations. And I think even you put it, you can probably put this into words better than I can, but the def he's allowing the defender to play both him and the pitch man which invalidates the whole point of running any option play. Because you're essentially saying, we're just running the ball, might as well just be with one person instead of two. Yeah, he he's a guy who seems like, unfortunately, if the play doesn't work out exactly as blocked up, I think he panics a little bit sometimes. And what you really want in an option quarterback in his pitch phase is you want a guy who's going to hold it until the last moment and force the pitch man to commit. Either he opens his hips and he plays the pitch, or he closes his hips and he plays the quarterback. 
Marshall at times, from what, especially there's some great plays in the pit game where you see him hesitate and then he makes a decision before the defensive, you know, usually the defensive end has really shown what he's going to do. And so he cuts and you're like, well, okay, you've allowed, like you said, we've allowed that player who should be the pitch and you should be able to read to play both. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's yeah. I mean, I hate to be just this blunt about it, but that's unacceptable in this offense. I mean, yeah, it's as a guy who who started twelve games last year, is a senior, is a team captain. You know, is the guy that should know this offense, should be able to run it, should understand what he's doing, and should be able to do that. You know, you to see that out of a senior quarterback and to see it really where. You know, we talked about this last year where he struggled on the pitch phase. And a lot of that last year, I I chalked up to, you know, we poor blocked at the second level, so you had a lot of extra guys in the alley. But the pit game didn't really show that. The pit game, we actually had a couple where we blocked it up fairly well, and he just made a mistake. And what could have been a, you know, a 10 to 15-yard gain, possibly break it, depending on what happens, you know, turn into a one-yard gain, a two-yard gain, or a loss, because he... I don't really know what it is. You know, there's a great example. We run speed option, and he fakes the pitch. It's beautiful. The the end commits, but instead of keeping his track and kind of going outside the, the tackle, he hard cuts inside and gets blown up, and you go, well, why did you hard cut? Keep your track and run the offense. And I think that's one of his things is he kind of does what Justin Thomas did in 2015 where – he puts too much on himself to try to make the play and not necessarily trust in what the offense is designed to do. Yeah, and I I, I think that's... It's something that's scary. I I wouldn't lie. The blocking is definitely not helping things. The injuries, especially on the O-line, are not helping things. But when... This offense really does rely on the quarterback in a lot of ways. And this is kind of what I was scared of going into this season, is not necessarily... Not necessarily that he wasn't going to produce, but I guess the fact that if he's on his way out anyway uh, and we're going to see plays like this the rest of the season, it might be better to just go ahead and get somebody else to get experience in the offense. It's just a shame that the guy who would be theoretically taking his place is now injured, so that kind of sucks. What I kind of expect to happen, and this is my own little conspiracy theory, is, you know, we play Clemson on Saturday. We're probably going to get fucking a mud hole stomped in our ass because Clemson's really good and we're not really good. And their defeat defense has always been really good playing us offensively. And I think what, it, you know, we get mud hole stomped. And what that allows is going into Bowling Green for Johnson to go, we're one and three. We need to make a change. You know, to Quan, we get it we're going to give Tobias Oliver a shot and we're going to see what he can do. Well, theoretically, I mean, personally, I would love that. I, I know what the you fan, know. I know what the fan base is going to say. Uh, like I know they're on Nigel's side. They don't like Paul Johnson. They don't like the system. Yada, yada, yada. I know we, we are fans of the system. We've always liked it. The, the, the thing is, when you see your team struggling like this coming off of last season and going into these, this season, you feel like a change has to be made at some level. So I do feel like if Taquan gets changed, it would do a lot to 
relax the fan base. Now, I, I, while I agree to you, uh, there's always a portion of the fan base that no matter what he did, we're not going to like Paul Johnson. He could have come in and won a national title, and there would have been people that complained. I mean, that's true of any fan base. <laughs> so yeah, but but it makes sense if you're a fan base like Alabama, who consistently competes for national titles, like. Uh, the Georgia Tech fan base is just a weird fan base because we have this segment that I, I don't – the best way I can say it, just frankly don't understand how college football works nowadays. I mean and, – I Well, you get a bunch of nerds who are used to like, well, this is how it works on paper. Why isn't it working? Why aren't we doing well, what everybody think, else is doing? I think doing? the other side of it is they look at Clemson where Dabo Sweeney's built a juggernaut. You know, they look at Kirby Smart at Georgia where he started to build a juggernaut. And they go, well, why can't they be us? And then, you know, you start looking at Georgia Tech's balance sheets. You start looking at how much we let our facilities stagnate. You look at any number of factors that, you know, make us different from those schools. But I don't know. It's it, There's a great, you know, a lot of Tech fans, I feel, want champagne on a beer budget. You know, if you really, really want to try to compete on the level of the Clemsons and the Georgias in the world – then you better open up that wallet, bro, because money's the only thing that's going to help, and that's one of our weaknesses. I will say our AD is doing a decent job at turning things around, but, I mean, it's not like things change overnight either. Um, no, and, and I really I really like Stansberry. Uh, I think he's – honestly, I put a lot of the blame on the facility side, on Mike Babinski and just being a terrible athletic director. And I think Stansberry guy is who's come in, done some revitalization, really understands what it takes to actually somewhat compete in today's world, and is to me doing the right things. I think that he's he's you know started some capital campaigns, really put together some solid investments. So, and that's that's why you know it's tough to to want to completely toss Johnson out because for a couple of years there, he really was fighting with one, possibly both arms tied behind his back just because he didn't have the institutional support that you really want a guy to have. Well, yeah. I mean, and like you said, there's a lot that plays into that. Um, Artem, I want to say before we get too much up our own asses, but I think we kind of already did. Uh, What are your views? I know you're actually kind of outside the program in a sense because you're at Texas A&M, but because of this podcast, you've been paying a lot more attention to it. What are your thoughts on where the program sits and where it's going? First of all, Love Georgia Tech. Got a bunch of friends that went there. Watch them whenever I can. Second of all, I think, Andrew, you guys hit on a lot of good points, but I think I have an interesting perspective from this side, right? We kind of had this discussion when uh, there were initial rumors of someone being put out last year and Jimbo Fisher potentially coming on to, to be the head coach and kind of the reactions from that. We discussed that a lot in the offseason, uh, which may not have been in the podcast, but here's how I look at it, right? Paul Johnson got an extension this offseason, right? Uh, April 2018. He's extended through 2022. So that's one thing. You just put a lot of faith into this dude. Um, I I look at the schedule, who you guys have played. You know, I watched the USF game. Uh, That was just a tough game. There there were things in that game that you didn't even know were going to get thrown at you. Pitt, I didn't really watch, but that's a close game. I think Pitt's going to be able to upset a lot of people this season. They're going to have a good record. What I'll, what I really think is the funny thing is you won't know anything until about the Miami game, which is your third from the last game of the season. Um, 
and because it's Miami, it's a Miami program that's kind of in the shitter. I feel like their offense sucks so bad that if you guys don't beat them, then I would be worried for Paul Johnson. But on the other hand, you're extended to him through 2020. So that's kind of the difference between the situation that we had at A&M was someone had a year left on his contract and they're like, you know what? It's a good time to make a change. For you guys, you just put a lot of faith into a guy. I understand kind of the viewpoint of the fan base not being really happy about the system and watching it just because it's it's a little bit of a different system, right? It takes a little bit. You have to know football. You have to appreciate football to get into that system. Otherwise, you're like, why aren't they throwing more? Why aren't we doing more trick plays? You have to understand Paul Johnson, too, to kind of get where you guys are. And there's a lot of appreciation for football you need to have to be there. On the other hand, I think you're in a perfect spot to make, as a program, to make steps forward. Here's what I would do, right? You got four years until 2022. You have uh, It's a great time to set expectations for Paul Johnson. Uh, it might be a little late for this year. Uh, I think it's looking at you guys' schedule, it's going to be tough uh, sledding forward. I think you can still make a bowl game, though, and you can potentially upset Miami um, if they're still ranked by then. But as a program, I think you set expectations for Paul Johnson. Going into next season, you need to have this many wins. And that's that's what keeps your fan base happy, right? They don't give a shit about how many times you're throwing the ball, how many times you're running the ball. If you're winning games and you're going to a big bowl game and everybody's talking about you, your fan base is going to be happy. You're making those big plays, you're you know, on Sports Center or whatever. That's what fans want to see. They don't give a shit if you're running or throwing a lot. They just want the big plays. They want the publicity. And going to work and your coworker saying, oh, man, I saw what Jordan Tech did yesterday. That's crazy, man. And that's what they want. They want that recognition. So I would set expectations for Paul Johnson starting now. It's a good time. You just gave him a four-year extension. And as this goes on, there should be a benchmark. So if he doesn't win seven or eight games next season, then he's on the hot seat. If he doesn't win seven or eight games next season, you let him go. And as you're building, as you're letting him go through this, you start building those facilities that that Andrew talked about. These fans that are, or these donors that are talking about, we're not happy with the program, we're not happy about this, you let those guys know, hey, here's the expectation for the head coach. If he doesn't reach these levels by this and this date, we're letting him go. We're going to find somebody who's going to come here, who's going to win, because we want to compete against a program like Georgia. And Georgia is, you know, everybody's talking about Georgia. And if we can be on, even in the conversation about that, we're going to have better players come here and have a more excitement around that rivalry game and just more excitement throughout the season. So I think it's a good time for you guys to do that and potentially be on that national stage, regardless of how large or small or whatever school you are. You're in Atlanta. Yeah. So, Andrew, I guess you understand the ins and outs of the actual programs more than we do. Is that something that's reasonable to do? I mean, I do think that really Paul Johnson's to Artem's point, I don't know how like you set goals exactly or publicize them, but to Artem's point, I think the de- definition of Paul Johnson's uh, career at Georgia Tech will probably be next year. We're not going to make any snap decisions. I, 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 I think so. I mean, I really feel outside of this year completely bottoming out and us going 2-10, and 10, I, I think next year really kind of becomes the, the make or break, you know, win – eight plus games or you're gone kind of year. Uh, I think it's, and, and even then, you know, if you win seven next year, then you're going to look at it and go, all right, well, you, you know, we want to see progress to getting better. And I think that's the biggest thing 
at least in the past couple of years that have that have hurt Johnson is, you know, we had a really really good 2014. You know, we won 11 games, we won the division, we played Florida State close for the the conference. You know, we we beat Mississippi State in the Orange Bowl, and instead of following that up with you know a solid eight nine win season, we went three and nine. <laughs> you know, but then he dug us out and we won nine games in 2016, beat Kentucky in a bowl, you know, looked pretty good. And then we, you know, we won five games last year. And I think that's what people really kind of struggle with is there's a huge level of inconsistency and it's not a, you see an incremental getting better. You just kind of see a, you know, I want off Paul Johnson's wild ride. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thing is, you're gonna have to catch him after a bad year, because as part of the thing where you guys extended him for through 2022, there's a little quote here by the athletic director: "Aside from Bobby Dodd, no head coach in Georgia Tech football history has won more games in his first ten seasons than Paul Johnson." He's he's also our he's also our longest tenured coach since Dodd. He is. He has been a very good coach. I think that's something Um, that goes underappreciated. Is that I also I also don't expect. Regardless of what happens, even if he wins, I mean, if he wins 10 games a year for the next three years, then it could be different. I would be really, really surprised if we extend this con. Because I think Johnson's getting towards that part of his career where he's like, you know what, guys? I don't have to put up with your shit. I think I'm done. Well, I think it's also, yeah, I guess that's really my thought is really it's that Johnson is probably going to retire at that point. Because. Unlike a lot of these other coaches, I think he's just kind of like, you know what, I'm going to be done at that point. It's fine. It's not like he's got a tie to this program like uh, Bob, is it Schneider? Uh, uh, oh, at Kansas State, yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, the other the other thing, the one, one of the big criticisms that I personally have about Johnson is I think recruiting has changed so much in the 10 years that he's been at Tech. And he's very much a somewhat curmudgeonly guy who really tells it like it is. You know, he's not a guy who really sucks up to high-profile recruits and really plays a lot of the the optic recruiting games you have nowadays. You know, the Kirby Smart flying a helicopter somewhere. Didn't Sumlin have a helicopter at one time? You know, Johnson's... Swaggercopter. Yeah, Swagger. you know, Johnson's not really evolved as much as recruiting has changed and I think that's hurt us on the recruiting trail. And to me that that's probably my biggest criticism is I don't see him. And that's not a change. Obviously I think he's going to wake up tomorrow and make, I disagree. (laughs) I disagree a lot. And uh, I think you got the right idea, but from what I've seen that article that we all read, uh, I think you sent it actually from uh, the Georgia support staff. I think that's what you really need because Jimbo doesn't have a Twitter. He doesn't talk to recruits. Maybe he'll call him every once in a while, but I think it's about that support staff, about having those guys and girls who, behind the scenes who are like, hey, you need to call this guy. He had five touchdowns in four, five plays. Like, you need to have relative material. And I don't know if that's currently happening at Georgia Tech, but it's, I think it's something you need. We, we are growing the staff size. Again, that was another thing that stagnated under the last AD is we didn't, you know, we didn't keep up with the Joneses and grow the staff size. So there has been a lot of things added to that as of last year so it'll be really interesting yeah i don't think you'll see it in this year's class but it'll be interesting to see in say the the 2020 or the 2021 class you know if we start to see a lot of fruits of that 
larger recruiting staff and kind of deeper net and pool that we're casting. All right, guys. Well, I think it's been a fun topic, but uh, we got to wrap it up. So thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in. And uh, thanks as always to uh, both Andrew and, uh, and Artem for showing up today. Tommy couldn't make it. Do y'all have any last thoughts before we head out? Yeah, always wrap it up. <laughs> I do want to throw out there, uh, I best of our our thoughts and prayers are with the victims of the hurricane, and uh, we wish you all stay safe out there. If you have a if you have any questions or comments for us, shoot us an email at tmlpodcast at gmail and check us out on Twitter at tmlpodcast. Until next time. Have a good night, everybody.